Welcome back to Light It Red, the 12th episode, I believe. At least that's what I have written down. On this episode, we are going to be going over, obviously, updates for all of the major sports that are happening around NC State's campus, but also our biggest and most important segment for this episode is going to be going over the transfer class for PAC football as we've been meaning to do this for an episode or two now, and I think it's good that we didn't because it gave it a little bit more time to develop, but this is pretty much as good as it's going to get. You know, I don't think we're going to get any more major transfers, so that can be something that we can evaluate and get off to, Um, but uh, first, we're always going to start off with updates from all the other sports that are going around town. Uh, so let's start off with swimming and diving. Um, Griffin, can you get into what's going on in our swimming and diving team? I was wondering, um, what's the recommended amount of dedicated wham I should have to serve? Griffin, could you get into the uh, analysis for swimming and diving for us? Uh, sure. So okay, you're not going to talk like that the entire time. <laughs> so, for swimming and diving, um, they haven't. I mean, they just started the ACC championships on the 20th. Today is the 21st, and that continues to the 24th. So results will be posted by the 24th. But as of our last recording, nothing has changed with their win-loss ratio. Um, I, do you want to do wrestling? Actually, I should probably do wrestling. Yeah, I wrestling. Was, I That's was, all for swimming and diving. Not much changed. Wrestling yeah. had to... You went to one of the games. I was I was wanting to go to one of them, but matches. you had gone to this one. Or matches. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can get into wrestling, too, if that's it for swimming. Yeah. So, I went to my first first wrestling match, like, because I went to the UNC one, but, like, it didn't... Um, didn't work out like didn't didn't have a seat at the table that was a problem so oh you didn't have a media but get this seat up there right so that was against unc that had a big fight feel to it turned out it was a dud so i'm like all right i'll go number eight north carolina state versus number nine cornell that's got a big fight feel to yeah, it we previewed that game those or that match those big yeah um so i i emailed uh the girl the communications person she's like yep you got a seat baby so i had a word seat. for word that's what she said no she sent a very uh formal email <laughs> oh, okay. about it but i had a seat and i went and let me tell you it was good <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay I, interesting I, way to format that. well see the reason that i paused there and then just said that was because i didn't want to say anything disrespectful about the smells again oh did it did yeah. it pop up? Yeah, the smells again. The smells made an appearance. Dang. Um, was it from a singular human being that we referenced last episode? Or Yeah, dang. Well, that's unfortunate. But did yeah. we sometimes you can get over the smell if the results pay off. Did yeah. the results pay off in the game? The in results the, in the match? I mean it was good. I made sure I sat as as far as I possibly could. Um and yeah, the results were pretty good. We um Obviously, we won. It was the first wrestling match I had ever been to. Really? Yeah. My dad wrestled in high school. I don't know anything about wow. the scoring system or anything like that. He actually, you know, I, I do know this. It's by weight class. Yeah. So, like, they got, like, little chihuahuas out there. <laughs> they're, like, stone. Wow, okay. They're, like, 110 pounds. What? 
Like I think I the thought lo- you were gonna say like me or something. No, the lowest weight I think on the card was one hundred nineteen versus one hundred nineteen. What? Yeah, so they had little like female, I assume. No, male. All, it's an all, it's all male wrestling. I didn't know a, if wrestling had any. Wrestling's a, a male sport. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah. So they're alive, and like functioning. They're just shorter. Are they like four foot nine? I think they're about five feet around. Five feet. Holy two. cow! <laughs> so small guys, but really muscular. Yeah. Just, really I impressive. I like so. I mean, and it goes all the way up to like the heavyweight division. Yeah. Like. I think there's we have like a 196 pound guy who's like one of the best in the nation right now. He's like ranked number two. His name's like uh, Trent Hid Hidley. Something I think like I've that. seen that name around. Um, yeah, and he he won his match. Basically, we only lost. Um, I think it was two, two or three in a row, and then like Trent came in and like kind of just clutched it up. But the but first we we didn't lose like a single you know total. Um, match like it was like well it's basically like a head-to-head yeah but we didn't lose like in totality no it's a, it's a team finalized score yeah so the team you won. only get points from winning your head-to-head match okay yeah so cornell won like i don't it was like either two or three head-to-head matchups and, and then he came in and saved the day I mean, yeah they got they got on a little bit of a streak but you can't re- there's really no momentum because it's a head-to-head so yeah. um it, I mean, it was all they. They would have had to like win all of them, and it, it just wasn't happening. Like there was one kid who, um, the second guy who went out, he, like he pinned the Cornell. You get points for like pinning people, and you know if there are any wrestling fans up, like not like WWE fans, but like actual like wrestling, wrestling gurus. If you want to like come on and talk about like the wrestling, the art of wrestling. I would welcome that because I thought it was really interesting. It was hard to like keep up with because like different things earn you different points. Like you get a you earn a point for escaping, like a hold, just one singular point. But you get like five points for pinning or like four points for pinning, but that doesn't end the match. Like a pin is just a certain amount of points. Yeah. So anyways, all that is to say we made uh light work of Cornell, the number nine team in the country, and we were the number eight team. Awesome. Well, that's so, that's great ones there. And then I think we also end up beating Duke, um, yeah, and then and Virginia. So that's that's pretty good. But Cornell was definitely the big one because they were ranked. That was the ranked team. Uh, and then we play Virginia Tech next on the twenty third, and that should be the last regular season matchup for wrestling. So good luck to those guys. That is on Friday. We are recording this on Wednesday, so you'll probably. It probably would maybe have passed by the time it, this episode gets out. Maybe this episode gets out this Friday, maybe Saturday. It, it'll probably be around the time. And I, Virginia Tech is not currently ranked, I don't think, but they were at one point, so it should be okay. Um, should be interesting. I'm going to go ahead and assume that NC State will come away with that one and go into some go with some momentum into the ACC championships. Hopefully, which we've won the ACC a ton in the past five years and we've been very successful voice crack so uh awesome for wrestling now pat uh griffin can you get (laughs) little uh little mix up there can you get into uh gymnastics as well did anything go on in gymnastics i feel like there was something important that happened uh could you inform us and remind us yeah i can i can do that so uh last time we we chatted about 
gymnastics. They had just come off of a victory against um, Pitt, which was the first ACC matchup hosted at James T. Valvano Arena at William Neal Reynolds. Reynolds Coliseum. Oh, you had to say the full name. It's, it's a mouthful. <laughs> well, you know, it's also called. It's a. Uh, it, yeah. It's also. It's also cold. It's also <laughs> called. <laughs> it's also called Kyao Court. So it's kind of a lot going on there. I noticed, but um, that gymnastics matchup was a win, and then they went and played Clemson on the road, and then they won again, um, and they played Carolina at home, won that one. And then they played Clemson at home, and they won again. And so, wow, <laughs> I those are all ACC matchups. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but the only teams in the ACC as of yeah, right there's now only four of them are right? Clemson, we, Carolina State, and Pitt. Five, yeah, just four teams or four. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't really know. I mean, they walked away from this Clemson victory uh, on the on the 17th as ACC champions. Yeah. Good on them. So, and they also scored one ninety seven point five seven five, which one of their I, higher. I marks. talked about that last time. This is the only time they've hit the one ninety seven mark on the season. They only hit it one time last season. I'm pretty sure. It's a pretty rare occurrence. That's a really high score, and um, they had a lot of individuals on the team perform really well yeah. on that night. Awesome. So yeah, they claim it. I assume it's because there, are, as you said, only four teams that have. And the ACC at least have gymnastics teams. Um, so, but hey, that's still yeah. a title for us. That's yeah, cool. I, th- I think it was a a clinching scenario because they had already won all of their ACC matchups. So it, even though there's still an ACC matchup left on the schedule, I think they've already clinched versus Pitt, I believe, on the twenty yeah, fifth. Correct. The rest of them, I, yeah, I don't think there's any more ACC matchups. It's versus other. There was two apiece. other programs. Yeah, yeah, and they so, cleaned up. Good so. on good on them. That's that's good for gymnastics. Uh, and then. The two basketball programs, obviously we know the better one, that's women's basketball, unfortunately had a missed opportunity. Um, they We previewed this game a little bit uh, last episode, and it was Virginia Tech, because this was a heartbreaker that we lost a few weeks ago. Um, it was at Virginia Tech by one point, very close game, and on, we, I, I was definitely expecting revenge. We were expecting a win at home, and that didn't happen. We ended up losing by uh, nine points at home to Virginia Tech. So uh, I'm, you know, we once tournament time comes around, we'll actually be able to talk about one tournament team, which is definitely going to be women's, hopefully men's. We'll dive into that later. But women's will for sure be in the tournament. And I think I am definitely going to at least have my eyes on the style of play that Virginia Tech has, considering they beat us twice, both on their home four and, and ours. So whatever formula they used, whether they are a bigger team, because I do know they have two bigs that are going to be going to the WNBA. Um, Virginia Tech does. They got two lottery picks. So at least, like, you know, projected. in terms of, yeah, projected. And so they, they are a very good team. I'm just saying at, at home, you kind of want to win all the home games you can. Uh, so that was an unfortunate loss. But we won three in a row since then versus Pitt, ranked Notre Dame, who was 16. And an overtime win versus Georgia Tech, which Georgia Tech is a bubble team, but and it, it was at home. So ideally, close games at home, you don't really want to get to that point. But at least, you know, nonetheless, they still pulled it off. Uh, and the next two games are going to be on the road versus our rivals, UNC and Duke. We had them at home. We beat both of them. But now we're on the road back-to-back. 
Uh, they are the seven and eight seed, respectively, in the latest bracketology projections for women's basketball. So they're definitely not, you know, uh, blow over matchups. They're, they're definitely going to be very important. And then after those two games, uh, that I'm saying all the games because the next, but by the time we do the next episode, they would have already actually finished the regular season. Um, so after UNC and Duke, they finished it off with two home games versus Syracuse and Wake Forest. Uh, Syracuse is a borderline ranked team. They're even better than UNC and Duke. So that'll be a pretty important home game. And then Wake Forest, I think, has literally four wins on the season. So they're the worst. So that should be a dub. But still, pretty pretty tough games going into the ACC tournament. Uh, I, I think we should still be the one seed going in, even if we lose maybe to UNC or Duke. Because uh, road games are tough, and both of those teams are—they have us circled on their schedule because we ended up beating them. But uh, I, I think we ideally would win the ACC or get very far, and then we'll get into tournament projections um, on the next episode. But that is women's still kicking it. Not as—I mean—to begin the year, we didn't think they would be like uh, you know one or two seeds. I think they're projected two seed right now, but. Um, uh, you know, th- I think we got a little ahead of ourselves when they beat a lot of good teams and got to the one seed. They kind of came back down to earth a little bit, but I, I they'll still finish off pretty strong. Yeah, and and you really you brushed over that Georgia Tech game, but I just wanted to mention that you know the reason they lost that game was because Kara Dunn, um, sophomore guard from Georgia Tech, dropped a thirty burger on us. She scored. 31 points and shot 73% from the field. So that's not going to happen. She thought she she shot 78% from three. Really? 78%? Yes. Jeez. So that's not going to happen every time out. No, absolutely not. I just wanted to mention that because she had a stellar performance that night in the overtime loss to us. Well, a lot of that, a lot of that, you know, a lot of times when these lower teams get on hot shooting streaks, they end up winning. Like, not to get off course, but. You know, with men's basketball, Purdue's losses and most recently uh, UConn's loss were to teams that shot as a team like over 60% from three, which is just not going to happen every single time. So some that's why a lot of upsets happen. Some teams just get hot from three. So that's cool that we were able to st- still pull through the adversity and actually win the game rather than have it be an unfortunate loss on our schedule. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know that she shot that high from yeah. three. That's and, pretty insane. And I said, I said night, it was during the day. Oh, I mean, thank you for the cl- a yeah. very important clarification yeah, we needed there. Awesome. You're welcome. So that's women's basketball. Uh, and then our big disappointment, men's basketball. They have lost three of their last four. Now, these three losses have been by three, four, and five points, respectively. So each game, one by three, one by four, and one by five. Uh, we did have a huge win, though, in between that, which was Clemson on the road, who's a projected five seed. But... The most recent loss we had was at home to Syracuse, which was after this great Clemson win that honestly kind of brought us back into the fold. Like we, you know, had lost these two close games to Pitt, and I believe it was on the road, one of them was to Wake Forest, which we we totally could have won that game as well. Uh, and after beating Clemson, you know, hopes were a little bit higher because that was definitely our best one of the year. Uh, and after this Syracuse loss, it really just brings us back down to earth as, you know, hey, we're not going to make the tournament unless we make a crazy run in the ACC championship, which is possible, but not likely. Uh, now we are 80th in net ranking, and 
Um, we have you know road games coming up at UNC and Pitt, and then a home game at Duke approaching, which I, I think Boston College is also thrown in there, which I expect to win. But um, in terms of projections, we're kind of looking at like an 18-19 win season, which would be four less than last year. Um, and I think really brings up a lot of questions about the coach going into the season. Uh, and Griffin, I think you had said that there was some sort of article that was posted. Um, I didn't know about this until he told me. A technician article. Um, all I know and all I'm going to say as of right now, I mean, you can dive into it, but uh, I checked when I opened up Twitter or X or whatever, whatever it's called, and it had 54,000 views, but 31 total likes. So this is not very, very well received, apparently, <laughs> by the people. Uh, what what was this article about? Yeah, so this was, um, I caught wind of it because some group chats were going off. We, I mean, we're all within student media and, um, I mean, Stone and I extend beyond just the radio station and the podcast. Like, um, we're, we're kind of a family with student media. So this is a student media publication. Um, it was a column, so an opinion piece, and it just it got some heat. And this has happened before. Um, Technician, the student newspaper, posts um, all the time. They always have articles going up, and they're printing newspapers every week. And so this is the sports. Um, this was a sports media column, um, and so. The, yeah, I mean, there are, there are instances where things are not as well received, considering that this is a pretty established student newspaper. So um, I just thought that it was uh, interesting. I mean, I don't. First of all, I know I appreciate you setting me up with the with the Twitter stuff, but let me just say that um, Kevin Keats is on the hot seat. Because we didn't, we didn't really get into that. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I do. Yeah. But um, he is coaching for his job. And so that's kind of where this article comes from. Because there are some people that think, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's not a Kevin Keats issue. It's a personnel issue with the team. Um, and then other people are very quick to blame the coach. And I think it's... People are more hesitant to pull the trigger on firing a coach because we have a different uh, athletic director now who hasn't, I mean, he brought Kevin Keats in and he hasn't had to fire a coach before, at least with, with football and basketball, our two major sports and women's basketball as well. And before that, we went through two coaches. Um, so it's just like these six-year tenures, they're not really, it's just not really working out. So we don't want to see it like, keep repeating the cycle. Um, and so that's kind of the argument. I mean, the writer of this article is saying that um, he should be given a little bit more of a leash and that he should be around for next season as well um, because of other things like injuries or like things that aren't necessarily Kevin Keats's fault. Okay. Um the NC State alum and then the Twitter followers or NC State fans, whoever you want to call this following, had some had some things to say about it. Um, and I wanted to read a couple of them. You, you wanted to were, read some of the comments? Yeah, I thought, this? I thought they were a little they were a little funny. I mean, um, 
Go ahead. Give me give me some of the best comments from this uh, this list. Which, by the way, I understand why it wasn't perceived very well. Um, I do agree. I think Keats should. He's for sure on the hot seat. I don't think after the Syracuse loss we should be like, oh, he's guaranteed to be back. Um, but what what are some of the comments that were on this? Yeah, I mean, and the reason I'm reading these two is because I mean, this is relevant. This is like, yeah, we are making content for the public. So here's what the public had to say. A tradition like no other. Technicians sucking at everything. <laughs> okay. Wow. Trying to spray perfume on the turd. Yikes. <laughs> nah. Nope. No. It's time. Blank, the person that wrote the story. I'm not going to mention them by name because I'm not sure if he wants to be mentioned by name. But blank must be the pen name for Kevin Keats. Or he is an apathetic fan. Nope. He should go away. One of the worst takes and reasoning I've ever seen for anything in a long time. <laughs> this article is absolutely embarrassing. Um, this is a parody article written by The Onion or The Bee. What? What does that even mean? It's like, <laughs> like a question. Is this a parody article? Um, kind of a weird comment. <laughs> All this article tells me is the writer thinks we have too high of expectations and we... Need to embrace mediocrity. No, we don't. So this is a laundry list of terrible takes. <laughs> so it goes to show they're not. Anyone who embraces this opinion is part of the problem. <laughs> there was one thing about the writer room of technician just being a circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> a circle jerk? <laughs> or just I don't know. Wow, okay. <laughs> I don't know. So needless to say, people are not happy about the proposition of Kevin Keats returning <laughs> next year. Uh, and I would say I'm relatively on board. I think the only thing that could save his job is if NC State goes ahead, you know, and they make a really deep run in the ACC tournament. And if they, like, just barely miss it, I could see him coming back. But any other scenario with them not being in the tournament, I think he should be gone. Um, and just, for you know, for some perspective... Uh, he was hired in 2017, which I think the hire was um, valid. He came from UNC Wilmington, where he made the tournament two years in a row and ended up winning the conference two years in a row. So, you know, clearly was successful uh, at UNC Wilmington. And then when he went to NC State, his first season, he made the tournament. He made the round of 64 in his very first year. Um, but since then... Uh, he's made one other tournament appearance, which obviously was last year. And if he doesn't make it this year, that would end up being uh, five times out of the seven, which is this is his seventh year, seven total years that he uh, would have not made the tournament. Um, and obviously two first round exits for both years. Um, and just in comparison to the very last coach we had, Mark Gottfried, uh, in the Six seasons each, they have the same exact win percentage, uh, 58.9. And potentially after um, this season, it might be even lower for Kevin Keats. And Mark Gottfried, in his six years here, uh, made the tournament four different times, making the Sweet 16 twice. He made the Sweet 16 two times and made the tournament four times out of his six years. The other two times that he didn't make the Sweet 16, he got out in the first round. But he made it four out of six in general, and Kevin Keats has the same amount of first round 
you know, exits, but that's the exact amount of tournament appearances he has. So even though they have the same record, uh, Mark Gottfried has clearly been able to be more successful in the tournament. And unfortunately, some guys, obviously, you know, maybe he's a good coach. He clearly showed it at Wilmington. Sometimes you try and build a program and maybe the way you did it just doesn't end up working. And maybe some other place probably at a lower program again uh, might be best for Kevin Keats and we could try and find someone else. But if I was the, um, you know, athletic director uh, and we do not make the tournament or if we miss it, it's because we were like barely there. I, I would move on from, uh, from, from Kevin Keats. And I think uh, he, you know, he, he doesn't, just in terms of his coaching style, I think he's late to a lot of stuff. And by that, I mean like trends within the game. If you just watch the game, like something will be going on and it'll be happening over and over again. And he just makes the change way too late. Like the Syracuse game I was watching most recently, they had a guy on their team was getting wide open threes in the corner, just making them every single time. And it took that guy to get 26 points in the first half for him at halftime to be like, you know what? Let me change up my uh, my defensive scheme here. Let me put other guys that can actually guard the perimeter out there. And, and it, But it's like they ended up losing, and they had a chance to win, which another downside is it, he had a horrendous drawn-up play. It wasn't even a play at all. We had the ball. Uh, the game was tied against Syracuse at the last second, and they give it to DJ Horn, which, you know, sucks because he's been really good. He's honestly, t- you know, given the production that Traquavion Smith had last year, he's dropping like 30 points, you know, 20 points in these past like five, six games. He gets the ball off his screen. It's not open at all. Just shoots it, tries to get a foul. It wasn't a foul at all. He just tried to go for it, but it was a horrible play call. So even at that point, he's not doing a great job in game, making adjustments. Um, And then going back to the Wake Forest game, you know, he got thrown out in that game, which, uh, Griffin, you had told me that I think that was his first time getting thrown out, and I I didn't really know. I had no clue, but he didn't really come off that way. But the, the way he got thrown out was off a correct call. He was arguing against a correct call. So the the him being ejected could have been avoided anyways. So, um, you know, that's that's at least my opinions on it. Do you do you share the same sentiment? Um, well, first of all, he got thrown out against BYU as well earlier he did? this season. Okay. So twice in one, twice one, in one season. season. Has it um, happened at all before? I don't know. Because it doesn't seem it like does, it. I don't think it had happened. It wasn't, he had never made a habit of that or like that wasn't something that he was known for. So, um, no, I, I don't think if it did happen, it wasn't very frequent. Um, but I I mean, I don't know. It, it's It's a guy, it's his job. So I'm not, like, gonna. I like him as a person. I mean, yeah, he seems a very, a, you know, a down to earth guy. It's so just... I'm not. I'm not gonna say take his job away. And I also just wanted to say that, um, although I was having fun with the X comments, <laughs> I do not condone those. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I don't think. I mean, hate comments from behind a screen aren't. You know. No, I I agree. Cool. Even though I do share the same sentiment that the people commenting them do, I don't carry it out in the same way. Um, especially, you know, like during games and stuff, you know, people say whatever they want all the time because there's no repercussions at all. But um, he's obviously, you know, he is a, a good and seems like a down-to-earth and good person. I just think 
if you're analyzing, you know, the performance, I think it, you know, obviously the, the, uh, you know, perception from fans can be a little bit blurred, but a lot of times when the fans start calling the, you know, seats start burning up and, uh, his is definitely getting to that point because PR is not good when the fans aren't enjoying it. And the AD obviously cares about that a lot because that means people aren't going to be going to games and, you know, so on. So, you know, ho- hopefully for his sake, he could turn it around. But at this rate, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, he is canned um, at the end of this year. But maybe if he's given one more year, um, that'll for sure be the do or die. I don't expect him to be here. It, let's say he gets one more year and doesn't make the tournament. There's zero chance after that. Zero chance. But... If he gets another year and makes it, maybe he could survive an, another another contract and maybe build off of that. But I think it's definitely going to, you know, his his resume is building is going to start right now with maybe a signature win versus Duke at home or something like that uh, to be like, hey, look, I'm building something. And, you know, but again, we'll we'll see if he even makes it past this year. Yeah. And and go check out that article, too. I mean, it's if it's causing such debate then maybe it's, it's worth reading i guess yeah so let's <laughs> go take a look at that but i would be nice about it if you don't like it. <laughs> well that is basketball now we can get into the football transfer class so um i don't know how much you have but i do have a ton of stuff so i can i'm gonna semi lead this segment and then you can pop in with you know different Stuff that you have or players that you're very interested in. Are we talking about players that have departed the program or just players? You could do both. Okay. You could do both. I focused on incoming. That's kind of what I focused on. But I do acknowledge some of the players that are, you know, going outwards. Uh, but just an overarching, you know, just, just so you have a, a clear understanding of what the transfer class is looking like. Uh, on the two main sites that rank... Recruits and transfers. This is specifically the transfer class, by the way, not incoming freshmen. We could go into that later, but a lot of it's kind of just guessing, you know, like, oh, I think this freshman is going to do good. I think this guy's going to do good. Like, obviously, the biggest freshman we had last year was Casey Concepcion, but I don't think anyone projected him doing what he did, and it's very hard to do that. So unless they're starting as a freshman, you know, it'll be we could project, but we won't be getting into that, at least in this episode. It'll just be transfers. Uh, But on the two sites, they were ranked number 11 and number 7 in the nation, which averages out to around a top 10 transfer class in the entire nation, in the entire Division I. Uh, Around the third or second best in the ACC, Florida State was clearly number one. And on one site, they were above Louisville. And on the other site, they were below Louisville. So they're right there with Louisville, but behind Florida State um, as one of the best transfer classes in the ACC and just a phenomenal transfer class in general, at least in terms of the rankings. Um, now, on the surface, you know, obviously you could say, hey, we have a great transfer class, but who left? Like, did we gain as much as we let, you know, we lost? Um, and I think on the surface, it does look like a, an upgrade, uh, but it it is undoubtedly an upgrade on offense, like no question. Uh, the most notable guys are skills position players, which is very interesting because it's good, for, you know, I think it's, pretty interesting for us to be able to follow these skills position guys that transferred rather than, you know, maybe some defenders that transferred. It's a little bit harder, but with skills positions, it will be cool that we get these brand new guys, which 
I think was definitely a big need from from last year. Um, but the I, I have a few of them down here uh, that I dove into. Uh, the most, I'd say the, the big three that we have would be the tight end, wide receiver, and halfback that we got. And that, that were pretty big, highly touted transfers. And that is Justin Jolly, a tight end from UConn. Uh, Jordan Waters, a, a transfer from Duke, halfback. And the biggest one, in my opinion, in terms of the skills positions, is wide receiver Noah Rogers from Ohio State. Uh, starting off with our t- the tight end, uh, he's a four-star junior from UConn, so he still would have another year, maybe even two years of eligibility left. Uh, he's already played two seasons. His la- uh, last year, he was seventh among tight ends and yards. He's around like 6'3", 6'4", 230. So he's not your typical like big body tight end. He's more of a receiving tight end. Uh, he also played most of his snaps in the slot. He's a very good athlete. I th- I'd say his speed is like average NFL speed, but in college, average NFL is like good college speed. So in terms of him playing against other collegiate defenders, he should be pretty good. Um, in terms of his performance, he graded out as like an average college tight end. But I think the upgrade that he's going to have at offense is immense. Uh, the quarterback that he had last year was not very good. Um, and, you know, he the receiving core around him was not very good. So he had a good amount of attention on him. Was a four-star recruit going into UConn. Uh, so I think compared to our other tight ends that we had, he'll be consistent and it should be an upgrade at this position. Uh, the next one is Jordan Waters that we brought up. He's a halfback. He's a grad transfer, so he's on. this is the last year he's going to have. Uh, but he's from Duke. He's been at Duke since 2019. Uh, he first started in 2022, so he's had two years of starting. And last year was the best year of his career. He had 950 total yards, uh, 5.3 yards per carry with 12 touchdowns. He's a very solid blend of strength and speed which I think is needed for a guy who's going to be a three-down back, which we, I would say, need at this point because last year we kind of just had a rotation of different guys who played, you know, different roles. Uh, He had more production than both Delbert Mims and Michael Allen combined, who those were the two running backs that ended up transferring out, uh, which one of them went to Eastern Michigan, that would be Mims, and then Michael Allen went to uh, University of Nevada, Nevada, Las Vegas. but I, he's going to come in and pretty much be the main starting halfback, and I think he'll be good. He'll be, you know, one of the better starting running backs in the ACC, and I think he'll for sure be an upgrade at the position because a lot of our runners were not really, like, full-time running backs. It was kind of just Brennan Armstrong running or Casey Concepcion running. Like, well, Kendrick, we didn't have a full-time Kendrick Raphael, got Raphael, but good at the end there. He, he kind of he had eight touchdowns, but he got eight touchdowns from like the goal line. It's not like he got us to. He the had end a zone couple of there. ones that he broke. He not was very, he just didn't have a healthy. Rarely, he just wasn't healthy all season. Yeah, but he no his yards per carry were not very high, so he wasn't really getting a lot of these like full runs. If he's running, it's for like two yards. Yeah, and I think he had some juice. Not a ton though, especially yeah, in comparison. I don't agree with you. He could. No, he was not a third. He was not a three down. No, because he was back. running behind Mims and Allen, and he no, was a freshman. It's not necessarily running behind. More no, so, I, to start the Allen season, left. Allen literally left. So it's wide open. Like, I, hey, I, I, this I room is wide open. So go take it if it's because Allen, Michael Allen was, you know, for lack of a better word, like he didn't step up at all. Like, 
He was there, and then boom, gone. Went to go train. He transferred in the middle of the season. No, he didn't. That was a different guy. Michael Allen. No, he it didn't was play Jordan the Houston. Season. Allen's the one that trans. Houston's the one that redshirted and then transferred. No, Michael Allen didn't finish the year. He didn't. No. And then what? They made Mims. It was a combination of um, Mims and Raphael. Mims and Raphael. And Raphael got injured a couple times during the season too. Which Raphael was the one that had larger runs. I mean, he averaged like 4.3 yards per carry. He was the one in one of the games that, uh, I think it was, I think it was the UNC game, had a great like bounce-off run where he literally bounced off a guy and ended up running yeah, he did it a, a few games in a row, I feel like. He, the one we went to, he did that too. He had a big run, like a 40-yard run against like Miami. Who are you talking about? Kendrick Raphael. Yeah, Raphael. The one that you just said his yards per carry was low? No, I'm talking about Delbert Mims. See, I'm talking about Raphael. Yeah, Raphael. You're saying Mims was the one that got goal line carries. Yeah. I was saying Raphael. Mims is not on the team anymore. Yeah, no, he's not. I'm saying Raphael deserves to be the lead back. Oh, I thought you were talking about... Okay, so that makes I sense. Because I just talked about Delbert Mims. No, so I was saying I didn't agree with you because you were saying that Raphael was a low yards per carry and a goal line No, back. I'm talking no. about Delbert Mims. Okay, so that is true. No, no, because I was saying... Between Delbert, like, the production that we're losing, like, Michael Allen was not, like, not even really as effective when he got the starting job. And then Delbert Mims had a lot of touchdowns, but they weren't really, like, effective touchdowns. I was just talking about the production that's leaving, um, which was those two. Right, but then you didn't mention Raphael. Well, I was going to later because okay. we bring well, up like other stuff. Well, I think but... you were saying that there wasn't a three down back. And what I'm saying is that I think Kendrick Raphael deserves to get a crack at it before Waters does. I don't think he will, though. Because Waters is a redshirt fresh or is, is a sophomore. No, right. Or, I mean, a, a, sorry, a senior. Well, He's a senior. If they aren't careful, then Raphael might enter the portal. Maybe. I'm just saying Waters is coming in off the best year of his career. Uh, you know, who's which he's been a good starting running back before, but we, the, my point is we didn't have like a real starting running back last year. Like they rotated in a ton of guys and our lead rushers were our quarterback and a receiver. Those were our two leading rushers, which is just, it's like obviously cool to get a lot of those plays, but it, it's not a sustainable rushing attack like at all. Well, I'm going to let you know now it's probably going to still be a rotation. Not fully though. I think I think it will be a two back, three back rotation still. I mean, they, no, they could totally get in. There's another guy here that we're gonna bring up that was another transfer who's a retro freshman. Dude, the guy back. with the name. Dude, this name is awesome. Yeah, are you I, talking I, about yes, yeah, Smothers? Yes, Smothers. We'll Hollywood get into Hollywood Smothers. Uh, Hollywood Smothers. That's the best name I've seen on he, this list. He was. He's not of the big three. I think the big three was Jolly Waters, and then the guy that I can get into right now, which is Noah Rogers. Which this is probably the one that has the biggest potential in terms of transfers. He's a receiver, uh, four-star, redshirt freshman from Ohio State. Uh, he originally was from North Carolina. He was the number two player in the state of North Carolina last year and a top 10 receiver nationally in recruiting. He committed to Ohio State, which is basically wide receiver university. I mean, they pump out wide receivers left and right to the NFL and was kind of just stuck behind a lot of other guys that were there and now comes back to North Carolina and comes here to state where he's going to start immediately, which is much, much needed. Uh, and he's pretty much going to be the alpha receiver on the outside. He's a guy who can borderline do everything. He's just a pure playmaker. 
6'2", He's not like as big or bulky as other receivers, but he's very versatile and has verified NFL speed and athleticism. He's kind of similar to like a slimmer Chris Godwin in the fact that like Chris Godwin can run pretty much every route, really reliable, solid. He's not the craziest athlete in the world or doesn't do all these insane catches, but just a super reliable, good playmaker. Um, you know, it. this is for sure the biggest difference maker because he has literally, he like actually has NFL talent. Like if he stays here and is able to produce, we could see him get drafted into the NFL. Um, and I think, you know, with KC Concepcion as more of like a smaller gadget guy in the slot who did a ton, but obviously we... Casey wasn't really just lining up on the outside and being like, okay, go beat this corner deep and I'll get it to you. Like he was more of like crossing routes, screens. Like that's how we got Casey the ball runs, you know, Noah Rogers fits more of the traditional style of wide receiver that we did not really have last year. Cause no one really stepped up. Like it was Casey and we gave so many other guys a chance to step up and no one really did. So uh, if, if Noah can be on the field, this is a complete game changer for our offense and one that I'm really excited about. Yep. I, I agree with you here. I think um, I like that he has three full years of eligibility left and we have had receivers from last season that profiled the same way he did, you know, the, the six, two build almost 200 pounds supposed to be a deep threat, but like you said, it didn't work out. So hopefully this Ohio state kid comes in and can make a difference on the outside. Yeah. I think, I mean, we bring up like the guys that had, you know, now we stepped up or out. A lot of the receivers, like, I was so disappointed in and didn't really like. And then, you know, we have, I mean, obviously there's guys like Porter Rooks. Um, yeah. But the biggest one, I mean, in terms of like, oh, this guy might do something, who was super young was uh, Terrell Timmons. And he had one good game. Uh, I think it was the loss against Louisville, maybe. I can't remember the game. But he had one good game and ended up like, talking like I remember after the press conference he was pissed and was like talking a bunch of crap or whatever and didn't do anything after and it was like really like what's going like what's going on he was he was in the 2022 class and came here and he was the one that was supposed to have a lot of potential and didn't he ended up transferring to to Colorado but there were so many other guys like Porter Rooks nothing like uh I really expected a lot from the uh transfer from Rice that we ended up getting this year, the white receiver. Um, yeah, Bradley Rosner. I expected a ton from him, and he wasn't bad, but he didn't do nearly as much well, as we expected at all. So The quarterback couldn't really get no, it. No, he wasn't the necessarily there. But there were definitely games I'd watch where I'm like, this dude just dropped this pass. Like, what's going on? Are you serious? So I think, you know, this is a very, very, very good transfer to where he just comes in, boom, fill the role. Uh, so those are the main three skills positions that are probably going to actually start. In terms of the projected depth chart, all three of them are projected starters right now. Um, and then there are two other, you know, skills position guys who won't start, but they're definitely going to play a role next year. You brought up one of them, and it's uh, Hollywood. His name is, I think, Dylan. So uh, Dylan Hollywood Smothers. <laughs> He's 5'10", he 190, but he plays much bigger than his size. Uh, he's kind of like a do it all back. He can receive, he does a good job of ripping off like chunk gains. He's really a perfect running back too. Um, who's so young. So if we can keep him in the building, this will be a very fun. And I think he's going to be a fan favorite player. Um, maybe as a starter in the next two years. 
but right now he's the projected number two split with um, Raphael, I believe. So um, I think that'll be a great running back room, much better than last year. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't think anyone's going to purely win the battle for RB2, as you had brought up with Raphael. It'll be a rotation. I think it's going to be a rotation for two. I think Waters kind of has first and second down, and maybe for third down, it can be a combination of Smothers and Raphael. Um, you know, because like I said, Armstrong and Conception were literally our best runners last year. That's just not sustainable at all. Um, but the other guy is Wesley Grimes. He's a receiver from Wake Forest, originally from Raleigh. He only started three games at Wake Forest, but was pretty solid in all three of those games, having a combined 147 yards and three touchdowns. He has a ton of technical skill, great route running, great hands. Um, in terms of starting receivers, DJ Collins, uh, who, you know, we talked about receivers not stepping up. He was very young, so he didn't really get a chance early. But later on, he started starting games and was actually not being too bad. Uh, and he is projected to start the year, and he's you know gonna probably gonna be the, the other outside receiver across from Noah. Um, he's much bigger than Wesley. Uh, DJ Collins is like six four, two hundred twelve pounds compared to Wesley, who's six two, hundred eighty seven. So definitely a big difference there. Um, but I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how Collins does when he's actually gonna be able to start. Um, cause he also only started three games last year. Uh, but I think you should expect Wesley to at least get some more run, uh, as the season goes on, maybe in four receiver sets or, uh, on different formations when we don't need a big, you know, receiver and we could throw in Wesley Grimes in there. Um, so receivers, skills, positions, huge, huge, huge upgrades there. Um, which, which is really interesting. And then the only other offensive, you know, thing that we added was two O-linemen. Uh, we brought in a center by the name of Zeke Coral, who who's a gar, uh, grad transfer from Notre Dame. He's going to replace our center, Dylan McMahon, who uh, was our best offensive lineman last year and literally left. He was the only guy that uh, from the offensive line that, that is not going to return from last year, which, you know, other than Missouri's transfer, Valen Erickson, who's just a sophomore and hasn't played a snap yet ever, uh, kind of would have liked to upgrade the O-line a little bit more because um, if we're being honest, that was definitely an issue last year and I think did create a lot. Obviously, with Armstrong, he ran sometimes more than he needed to, but uh, sometimes the O-line kind of forced him to get out of the pocket and run. So I would have liked to see a little bit more um, or at least maybe one more bigger O-line transfer. But either way, it'll be the same O-line pretty much as... Uh, last year so you're just gonna have to hope that theoretically there should be improvement with them having played a whole year together even if it's just individual improvement I think we could look at it and say it can't get much worse than last year <laughs> so maybe they could go from being not a really great O-line to at least an average to respectable um, offensive line uh, but I would definitely say offense had the the biggest upgrade um, here and then yeah what I'm seeing here is just like replacements for defensive players that have left yeah D defense was it was not as much of the focus um, and I think in totality the defense itself might take a bit of a step down just honestly purely from the loss of Peyton Wilson I mean just that alone could take a you know have everyone go down in terms of guys that transferred 
The only important one was uh, C.J. Clark, who was a starting defensive tackle for us, but he wasn't even really that good starting on the interior, um, which kind of hence why Peyton had to make so many, you know, you saw him like blasting into the holes in terms of the offensive linemen because all, you know, the other team was able to get an open run and boom, Peyton Wilson's in there. It's because C.J. Clark got beat on the D line. So, you know, I don't think that's a big loss, but the other, the two main losses are from the secondary. I think the secondary, uh, you know, the, or they, I don't think, I know that they definitely had the biggest shakeup, uh, this, this from last year to this year, uh, Robert Kennedy and Shaheen battle are both lost due to no more eligibility, but you know, they did smartly get most of their defensive transfers in the secondary. Uh, and then we also had one at linebacker. The one at linebacker that was filled, uh, it was actually filled by one of the top JUCO transfers, which is a junior college transfer, uh, and it's linebacker Wyatt Wright from Mississippi Gulf Coast is where he's coming from. Uh, and I read up on him, and he's a great athlete and kind of fits exactly what State is going to lose with Peyton Wilson, just a guy who can just power right through the holes and take guys' heads off whenever they're open uh, going for a run. Um, and I think with our defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson back, which was a great signing for us, bringing him back, I expect him to be able to put, you know, Wyatt Wright in the right position to succeed. So I don't, he's not going to be Peyton Wilson, obviously, but, uh, I think he can at least attempt to fill the void that was left. Um, and then the secondary has a ton of new faces, but that'll probably be the biggest downgrade. Um, some notable ones, just so you know, the name, uh, Donovan Kaufman is a rotational safety kind of going to come in on like obvious running downs. He's a good tackler. And then we got this guy, uh, this group of guys, I'm calling them the Cooley core. They are two Maryland linebackers, both with the last name Cooley. One of them spells it with one O and one of them spells it with two O's. Uh, and it's Tamarcus and Corey. One of them's a senior who's been okay. Uh, but you know, not amazing in his career, but more of a rotational guy, which is Corey. Uh, the other one is Tamarcus, who's a redshirt sophomore, and he's apparently projected to be the starter right now, um, which is definitely the biggest, you know, wild card in terms of our secondary. We're gonna just gonna have to. I mean, maybe he doesn't win the cornerback two job in week one, but as of right now, he's projected as the starter. So if that's the case, we're obviously gonna have to hope that he does something, um, or you know, definitely gonna have to look at like Aiden White and Devon Boykin to really take steps up in their last year here because uh, if they don't, the secondary may have gotten a little bit worse. Are you sure it's not Coley? Yeah, Coley. What did I say, Cooley? You said the Cooley. Oh, Cooley. What do you call him? Cooley The Cooley core? I Cooley, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I think one is Coley and one is Cooley. Oh, yeah, because it's one O and two O's. Yeah. C-O-O-L versus C-O-L. Yeah. So Coley and Cooley. Yeah, you messed that oh, up. Oh, dang. I was, I was trying to come up with like a cool name there. A coal name? Yeah, a cool name. Yeah. But uh, it's, isn't it funny, though? They're both from Maryland, and they have the same last name, except just one O is missing from their last name. I guess. That's kind of cool. What do Prob you mean you guess? That is cool. Well, it's definitely not pronounced the same way. Okay, so well, yeah. You kind of sounded that, I looked that over, but... You're you an know. idiot. Uh, sure, yeah. I'm an idiot. Okay. I don't know about that one. Especially if you listen to this damn podcast, you know that's not the case for sure. <laughs> I'm not playing. <laughs> the only amount of dedicated wham do you have to a server? 
I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just repeated it. Oh, yeah, it. technically you didn't say it. Yeah, you did just play it. Um, but that's the transfer class, and you might be thinking we're missing someone. It's because I saved the best for last, and that is our quarterback. We're getting a new quarterback this year, Grayson McCall, former three-star. He is a grad transfer from Coastal Carolina, and while... I think Noah Rogers, the receiver from uh, Ohio State, is the probably the you know biggest wild card and the one that we're like this guy's the most potential. Grayson is the most important one, obviously because he's the quarterback. Uh, you know, I I know people do have doubts as we kind of went down this road last year with Brendan Armstrong because it was kind of the same thing—a grad transfer. We bring him in for one year, um, which. If you tuned into the episode, speaking of how I'm not an idiot, um, during the season, I was completely correct about this season and him in terms of how it went, especially with him versus MJ Morris and that whole thing, which MJ, ironically, is now going to be going to Maryland. Uh, But nonetheless, compared to preseason expectations, he was definitely disappointed, uh, Brennan was. And I think McCall is going to come in. Having started four years at Coastal Carolina, where he went 35-10, and 10, before this past year, 2023, uh, head coach, his former head coach that he had, uh, Jamie Chodwell, he was first and second always with the Coastal Carolina in their conference, and they were even ranked 14th in 2020, uh, but Grayson under him has three bowl appearances, and then after this coach leaves, he takes over Liberty this very last uh, recent year, 2023, Liberty goes 13 and one and finishes ranked number 25. So clearly the coach succeeded, um, but McCall ended up suffering a concussion midway through the season this year for Coastal Carolina and did not play the rest of the year. Uh, now I think the injury should be behind him at this point, but before the 2023 season in 2020 and 2021, he was graded as a top three passer in the nation and he was top 10 in 2022. Both of these years, his O-line was ranked below average. His play style is very different from Armstrong in terms of what we're going to be seeing. It's much more traditional. He's not really as much of a runner as Armstrong was, but I think that could be a good thing because he's a much more of a refined passer. Uh, His best strength is his deep ball, for sure. Great deep ball passer, which is funny. I mean, it's literally the total opposite of, of Armstrong here that we're getting. Uh, he has ideal size, 6'3", 220. Not as mobile as Armstrong, but very capable in the pocket. He does a good job at detecting blitzes and is very good at anticipating the blitz to make adjustments before the play. Uh, great with play action as well. One thing that I had kind of seen is he's not as good with screen passes, which may be overlooked, but I think that'll definitely need to be something that we look at in terms of changing up the formula. Because... From us two having watched, you know, a lot of the games last year, it seems like the offense changed halfway through the year because obviously they had to have different quarterbacks, but they finally were like, oh, yeah, let's get KC on screens more. Let's get him this short route because he's so good to do this. I think it's going to have to be a different formula with McCall. It's going to have to be, hey, we have actual outside receivers now. We have an actual receiving tight end. Let's get some more traditional routes, traditional plays going in here. Who is the receiving tight end? Uh, the first guy that we talked about, Justin Jolly. You forgot about Juice. Juice Wells? Juice Vereen. Vereen. 
You no. don't care? <laughs> really? No, I mean, sure, but like he's not going to be a starter. You didn't watch football No, I did, season. but he's not going to be a starter. The only relevant receiver we had was Casey. Do you realize that almost over 70% of our offense was Brennan Armstrong and Casey Concepcion? Yeah, but Juice had a couple games here and there where he showed, I mean, he was a freshman as well. Tight end. I know, but I'm talking about people who are going to start like right now. He, I mean, he will be in there. There's no way he won't be in there. No, he could be as a backup, but Justin's going to be starting. You don't bring freshmen into the program just to have them not play in their second and third years because you're bringing transfers in. No, that is possible, though. That happens all the time. Yeah, well, Especially if they show that they have talent. They're committing to your program. He's not going to start. I don't don't know if you think he is. He's not going to start. Well, Justin's starting. He should. Well, maybe he should or shouldn't, but I think he won't (laughs) because he's not going to. Because one of the big transfers that they just brought in is going to start. Who's actually played? I think that's what they need to do. Like last year, they were like, "Okay, here's some receivers. We we think they can do this. We think they can do that." It's not all that they got bailed. People don't understand. They got totally bailed. That Casey, as a true freshman, came in and actually produced as well as he did. Like if he even if he did not even close. Like let's say he did 65 percent of what he did, we would have like two or three more losses on the schedule. That's how important he was. To our offense because the O-line wasn't doing anything. Brennan couldn't throw the ball down the field and he was just running the whole time. And sometimes it worked, but you know, Casey was the only other X factor. And no, like you said, no one else really stepped up. Some people had games like Timmons had a game here and there, but no one was consistent at all. And so I think, you know, it's the, the offense that we ran in general was not consistent whatsoever. Just having Brennan run and KC run and doing all these weird screenplays and everything. So I think they're doing a good job of bringing in more traditional guys to which, you know, they can get McCall in there. who's a much better passer. And now he has actual guys on the outside, more of a consistent option at tight end, a consistent option at running back. There could still be guys that come and play, obviously, but I'm talking about in terms of getting the majority of the snaps. These are the guys that are going to, at least unless, you know, barring injury, obviously, going to be starting off the year as hey we're planning on these guys being the starters and that's kind of what I'm I'm looking forward to you know I'm looking forward to because I, I think it's just going to be a much more clean showing of offense even if the defense is not as explosive with the obvious loss of of Peyton Wilson is uh Dakari Collins still on the roster yeah that's what I said with um DJ sometimes I, I tried to look up his name Sometimes it was DJ, sometimes it was Dakari in terms of where different places like listed DJ. it. Well on NC State's website, it's Dakari Collins. Yeah, Dakari. And then if I looked if you look on I forget which website it was, but it says like DJ on another one. So I was like, okay, that's weird. But yeah, DJ Dakari, same guy. He's the one that, you know, is gonna be price switching or playing with uh, along with um with uh Wesley Grimes. The right. transfer from, from Wake Forest. Well, this this guy was the Clemson transfer that came in from last year. Yeah. Uh Collins. Collins, yeah. So that's why, you know, they're both, they haven't played a ton, but they had two or three games where they, they played and they looked solid. So they'll they'll be switching off. But offense, I, I think you could be way more optimistic about um, the guys that left. I don't think we're like, oh, shoot, they we wish they did more. And the guys that are still here, like obviously you brought up Wells and um, uh, the running back. He's slipping my, yeah, Raphael. Like those are two guys that we were young and we were like, oh, maybe they could actually do something. They'll get playing time. They just won't start, which is fine because we don't need them to start because we have transfers that come in and 
One of them is obviously going to be like, hey, we hope this guy does well with uh, Noah Brown, but um, or Noah Rogers, but like you know, Waters, Jolly, all these other guys have proven that they've can play, and I think that's just what we needed. We just needed consistency. They may not be as explosive as KC, but maybe there's a freshman down there that is, and if they are, they'll prove it. But they can prove it at training camp or and you know during practices and maybe during a little bit of game time. But we got consistency now. So I think the offense is the biggest bump, and I think overall this transfer class should be viewed as a W because, um, you know, it was inevitable we were going to lose Peyton, and you're not going to get Peyton Wilson-like player in the in the portal. But, you know, they went the Juco route, and I think it might end up being pretty well. Uh, so overall, um, you know, I, I think the expectation that is that we are going to improve in the win column, which we can go more into the, you know, preview and stuff when the football season actually starts. Uh, but the schedule last year gave us some pretty big favors, like Miami, UNC, Clemson, and Louisville all at home, which we lost the Louisville game, but all those teams at home, which is not going to repeat itself. So, uh, you know, as of right now, in terms of early projections, uh, it's kind of Clemson and Florida State that are at the top right now. But we're right in the second-tier mix with Louisville and Miami in terms of these preseason projections. So, uh, you know, we'll see, obviously, when football season comes around, how we perform. But uh, I think this class overall could be looked at positively as as a an upgrade. The offense, we're going to feel way more better about watching uh, on, on Saturdays. And uh, even with some defensive losses, which are definitely going to be adjusted or uh, addressed, um, I I think overall it was we, we got more coming in in terms of value than we lost the the, the transfer class. I'm sorry. Could you please repeat your question? Um, dedicated a lamb to a server. <laughs> and that is the end of the episode. What a finish! Do you have anything else that you'd like to to say before we go? Nope. Tune in next time before we go on spring break. Yeah, we got spring break, so we'll have one more episode and then party. Yeah, sure. We'll go party. <laughs> that party episode will be out. Around the sixth, it'll be out before Selection Sunday, so um, we won't really have full tournament prediction predictions by then. But maybe the the next week after spring break, um, we could go into our tournament stuff. Uh, but that is all. Thank you for listening to Light It Red, and we'll see you guys later. Music in this podcast was Jonas Hipper's King of Sports and Vibe and Sneaky, licensed under Creative Commons from the Free Music Archive.